Welcome to episode 122 of The Digital Life, a show about our adventures in the world of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Hey, John. How are you doing? Pretty good. Uh, we both got back from some pretty great design conferences last week, so thought we'd take this episode to reflect a little bit about the themes of those conferences and some of the takeaways. I went to the Business Innovation Factory 2015 conference, which is abbreviated as BIF 2015. And Dirk, you were at the Big Design Conference. Yep. So so let's uh, kick things off a little bit with uh, my take on BIF 2015. So I've been going to BIF, as you know, for five years now, starting with uh, what they called BIF 7. Um which was their seventh instantiation is probably obvious. And what's so great or what I find so great about that conference as a design and innovation um, uh, get together meetup is that they intertwine personal stories uh, with the sort of innovation and technology and design thinking. So it is not a pure technical or a design conference, but rather there's personal reflection involved in any piece that that is up on stage. So ultimately, that frames it in a very humanistic way. And I find I just relate to and absorb the stories so much better uh, when they're framed in such a manner. Mm -hmm. So and, and, and it's probably worth mentioning that they are stories. So they're there are personal stories that have innovation and design woven into them. Uh, so some of the human aspect is, is really prevalent throughout. So they never have a specific theme for the conference, but certain themes tend to come out of the storytellers each year. And this year I wanted to mention the theme that really spoke to me, which was the idea that that education is really being disrupted and that the design of education is critical uh, to the future you know, of, of this country, of the world. Uh, and, and finally, that, that educational design is really a, a social design as well. So it's not just designing how people learn, but it's also uh, helping to innovate why they learn, who learns, what they're learning, what the impact is on... Uh, the future of you know these children who are learning or adults who are learning, so so that was a real uh, primary theme, and I think maybe about fifty percent of the speakers had something that touched on that. But 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 I want to talk about a few of those, uh, and I'm probably going to uh, pronounce some of these names wrong, so forgive me if if I if I pronounce these names wrong. Jamie Cassip, who is the chief education evangelist at Google. Uh, had a had a really powerful story about growing up in Hell's Kitchen and how his point was that education really disrupts poverty in just one generation. So he sort of described the you know the place where he grew up and then contrasted that with how his kids are growing up and pointed out that it was just one person himself who had gone to college and then excelled. Uh, and become really great at what he does, and then ultimately was able to provide this this opportunity, uh, this leverage for his children, this next generation. Mm-hmm. So, so that was a real powerful testimony, and 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 I can relate to that a bit. 
Um, and, and he also mentioned that who you are and where you come from is a competitive advantage uh, when, you're, when you're in a scenario like that, when you really have to sort of uh, fight to, to overcome certain circumstances. Yeah. Um, he also ad- addressed what he called low expectation syndrome. Um, and, and he says that lots of low income minorities have this which is they don't expect a lot out of, you know, um, out of out of life. And, and that holds them back because they don't see themselves becoming, right. uh, you know, like a president or becoming the head of a major corporation. They, they only see sort of what's around them. Um, and he, he showed uh, himself, you know, a, a picture of himself at the White House uh, giving a uh, giving a talk uh, at an educational conference and said, who would have guessed who would have guessed that 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 he could have gotten there? Uh, and, and so he concluded his his talk with uh, a sort of a challenge to stop asking kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And instead to ask, what problems do you want to solve? And that phrase in particular appealed to me because it is really hard. When I, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up, frankly, but I do know what problems I want to solve yeah. and, and what stories I want to tell. Uh, so I found uh, Jamie's talk to be, uh, uh, especially, uh, affecting, you know, to me, That's great. um, uh, at the other end of the spectrum, there was a young woman who's, uh, believe going to be in her first year at Brown university. Her name is Sophie Hauser. And she was a, uh, a participant in girls who code, which is the, uh, organization, which encourages young women to go out and, and, uh, and, and spend time learning how to code, coding applications, and really, you know, taking that skill set and making it uh, uh, a little bit more open to, to females. So what Sophie did was she created a game uh, which she, she wanted to uh, make less taboo the topic of menstruation and tampons for 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 young women which she she thought was it was very strange that she could see a video game where people were getting blast you know their heads blasted of off but but uh somehow tampons were were not a thing that could be discussed and that was you know very important for her um her demographic um, and so she talked about the power of technology to create discussion and social change and, you know, she created this game called Tampon Runner, where you defeat your enemies by hurling tampons at them. And and the game blew up. Uh, it, you know, became extremely popular and was covered in, you know, all sorts of press. And it really sort of drew attention uh, to to uh, this issue that that she was trying to discuss. Um, additionally, you know, it's become a mobile app. And I, th- I think it really opened up. Uh, for Sophie, the the idea that uh, you really could affect change, you know, using this uh, digital medium of gaming. Um, so, so sort of uh, two people at at opposite ends of their careers. Sophie just starting, and uh, Jamie obviously at at some kind of pinnacle, being uh, at Google there. Uh, but those those two were, uh, I thought, extremely powerful uh, talks to me, and the, there were a host of others. Uh, you know, that I could get into. Um, but I, I just wanted to highlight those to yeah, they, start us off. Yeah, they do both sound really interesting. I mean, education, as you mentioned, is ripe for disruption. So it's um, it's compelling that Biff chose to have that as a key, a key focus this time. Um, 
yeah, I mean, there's there was a study recently that sort of reinforces the old idea that when something is made compulsory, people resist doing it. Mm -hmm. And it's the problem with the education system is that you go in and all of these compulsory things are being foisted upon you, right. which are, are, are firing off synapses in you. They're saying, don't do this. You don't want to do this. This sucks. Yeah. When in fact, they're things that if you discovered on your own, you might really enjoy them. Right. Um, and so, you know, there's modern solutions to education and schooling, but there's also older solutions. You know, there's, um, there's a type of school called Sudbury schools, mm -hmm. which came around in the 50s and 60s, you know, sort of a hippie thing. Um, and, and the vision there is that the children are just left to be. So you have some adults who are there all day, but the children um, decide what they want to do all day. They self-govern the whole nine yards. There's not a single mandatory class. There's not a single mandatory book, mm -hmm. single mandatory assignment. The, the philosophy is that as the children need or want the information, they will request it. And they will make their way through. Wow. And so in the Sudbury school, um, if you look statistically at what Sudbury schools have done, um, their students are far more likely to be artists, to be entrepreneurs, to be successful in the creative arts, to be mm -hmm. successful in, in the things that right now are really being celebrated in technology and in the world. Um, this method that's 50 plus years old has been cultivating that for, for half a century. Um, but it's so radical. You yeah, know, that I, is you radical. Know, I, um, it's the polar opposite, right? It's the polar opposite. Or yeah. at least what I did. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm very much wanting my children to go through mm -hmm. that kind of a school um, because it just makes sense to me. I mean, I know when I was in school, I love history. I mean, on the weekend, if I, you know, get a, get a history book, I'll just get lost in it. I'll be so happy. Mm -hmm. But if it was assigned to me, fuck all. I mean, I'm yeah. not going to read it. It's me a break but that same book if i came out about it on my own right i would have really enjoyed it so it's for in terms of stories and personal for me that's very personal from an education perspective and i'm a big proponent of breaking out of the chains of not just the teach to the lowest common denominator in horrible structured slow-moving environments mm -hmm. but completely break off the shackles and um you know have have people sort of discover and develop on their own as opposed to jamming it through them um, for, you know, reasons of legality. Right. Yeah. That, that, that very much is similar to my own experience. Um, you know, I, I studied piano for maybe about 10 years before I decided that I wanted to do it. So the first 10 years were nothing but pain. And, uh, um, from then on, it was still painful, but it was it was something that I owned and that I really wanted to do. So so I can sort of recall uh, the day that I can I can recall the day that I decided I was going to own, you know, my uh, uh, musical endeavors. Right. Uh, playing the piano. And it was when I, I saw a, a woman who uh, was going to Juilliard up on stage. I was at this uh, uh piano camp right and she was playing and i'm like i can i can compete with her i when i want to compete with her right so uh at, at that moment just saying like hey you know this isn't what my parents want me to do anymore i'm here because that's what they want me to do but when i got you know to this piano camp suddenly i realized huh that was something that i was interested in doing as well and then from from there on out it was it was a much sort of broader and more enjoyable. Uh, I spent more time practicing. 
the whole the whole nine yards. So you shifted from yeah. being tortured to being a masochist. Yes, basically. and 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 basically torturing my mom, and you know, like uh, we'd argue incessantly about practicing. But enough about uh, enough about my sort of uh, piano playing. Dirk, tell me a little bit about your experience at uh, the big design conference. Big Design was a really, really interesting conference. It's a very broad-based conference. So typically, you know, conferences that we would, and I, I, they, they don't call themselves UX at sort of the top level, I don't think. Um, but what we would think about in UX conferences is a fairly narrow band. And the Big Design Conference had talks um, across a lot of different tracks. So some of them you'd expect, some of them you wouldn't. So there was a development track. There was a career development track. There was a usability track there was a civic design track a normal mm. sort of catch-all design track seo and social um inspirational design had a track game design had a track tools and tactics um it was just across a very broad swath audio design had a track um That's track after track after track right so there were a lot of options for for people who came um and and the ability to spread out a little more spread out a little more broadly um so it was it was very very interesting in that way. Um, I saw some some good talks. Um, you know, I'm I'm at a point now where um, I'm not in hands-on design very much anymore. So um, you know, in terms of like making a practical difference, there there weren't necessarily things that really are, are going to change my life tomorrow. But there were a lot of interesting things. I mean, one of the trends I noticed is of the talks that I, I was a part of. Most of them mentioned emerging technologies in very present mm-hmm. ways robots um cyborgs like mm-hmm. that whole sci-fi thing that we've talked about before right like, that sort of they're talking about something different but that flittered into it it was like and of course this you know right um is a part of it and so that was a surprise because maybe that kind of messaging has been going in ux conferences for a longer time and i'm not aware of it but i haven't been going to many ux conferences myself and i certainly didn't expect to see it but there was there was definitely um a lot of that and really tying into a lot of the things that, you know, you, uh, your book, of course, and we as a studio have been working on as well. Yeah, I, I, I do find that interesting because I think at, at the very edges of this, uh, you know, and any emerging technology, I mean, there was uh, before robotics, genomics, and the Internet of Things, there was, of course, you know, the Internet, which defined a lot of, you know, our careers, at least at the beginning. And at the point where that was an emerging technology, uh, I can remember people didn't know what to do with it. And there was lots of fighting about, you know, how design for print, you know, applied to the Internet and how, you know, uh, information architecture affected it and how, uh, you know, how we would port our design skills from, you know, the, the physical world into the digital world. And uh, I, I remember a decade of, of, of arguments about these things, all coupled with, you know, fast technological progress, uh, not to mention, you know, mobile technology as an emerging tech. So I think this I do think this next generation or this next set of emerging technologies is fundamentally different than uh, the communication technologies that we've been accelerating over the past, you know, 10, 20 years. Um, and so I'm very happy that it sounds like that was, you know, at, at least thematically somewhat included in the discussion at uh, Big Design Conference, because I do think there's an awful lot of resistance to new technologies at the beginning, especially when it comes to, you know, an established industry. And like it or not, UX and uh, 
um, software design is an established industry now. So there will be uh, people with uh, certain uh, certain things to protect. I mean, you know, I I, I do it as well. There, there you get uh, rooted in in a certain way of uh, looking at things and. And ultimately, you you resist change. I mean, I, I I remember thinking that wow, all these print designers, of which you know I, I was when I saw an awful lot of resistance to uh, digital media come out of the print design community, and they thought it was a fad. Yeah. Um, and lo and behold, it upended everything in print. Yeah. Uh, and and so I I do think that emerging technologies have a heck of a lot of potential to do that again. Um, and and I hope that uh, as designers will be eager to embrace that rather than you know resist those those changes and not be able to effectively guide uh, technologies in a, in a human way really. Yeah, I don't know how eager to embrace that designers are going to be. I mean, I think that uh, the emerging technologies start to raise issues of ethics that we really didn't have as we shifted just from analog to digital. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of scary and uncertain stuff and maybe things that are conflicting with people's, you know, personal, moral and or religious viewpoints. So it's a lot more naughty, I think. It is. Um, also the challenges, I mean, to really be a successful creator in a world of emerging technologies I believe it will be compulsory that you have fairly deep science and or engineering chops going on. That ain't for all designers. So I think we'll start to see, you know, engineering and design come more together with more people who traditionally would have just been engineers being the designer creator of the future. Some of the current designers coming over and being part of that as well. But many of the people who currently identify as designers ending up doing very different things because of any one of the factors that I was talking about before. Yeah, that's that's right. I, I agree with you. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. You can also email me, Dirk, at GoInvo.com. And additionally, I want to give a shout out to John because just last week, it was announced through Scholastic, a giant publishing company, that a science fiction novel that he wrote with a friend of his is going to be published and produced in 2016 in both hardcover and paperback. So that's a really an exciting announcement, and I want to congratulate John for that. Well, well thank you. Uh, yeah, it's uh, still still another year in the making, but I'm really looking forward to that. And, uh, you know, there's, there's this... Uh, a project that's that's been in me for the past decades finally coming to fruition so so i'm very glad to see that that uh you know looks like it's going to be available to the public and uh uh we'll keep you in the loop as to what's happening with it awesome so that's it for episode 122 of the digital life i'm john follett for dirk neumeyer and we'll see you next time